Welcome to episode 23 of the RF Generation Playcast. This is Gregos81, and in this episode, Rich, Floyd, Stephen, and I will discuss the forgotten gem folklore on the PlayStation 3. We are thrilled to be joined in our discussion by Pam, who has a great YouTube channel called Cannot Be Tamed. Be sure to check out her videos. Folklore is an action-adventure RPG from early in the PS3 library that is mostly remembered fondly by the people who actually played it. What did we think about it? Does it live up to its cult status, or is it better left unknown? Stay tuned to find out, and as always, all spoilers are in the open. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the incredible games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. So back in our December episode, we, we talked a little bit about how we kind of regretted playing quite a few like standard AAA third-person shooters, not because they were bad games, just because they're kind of standard by-the-numbers games, and it feels like we're treading old ground. Uh, it feels like we're playing the same games over and over again. So this month we're playing something a little more unique uh, with Folklore. Um, by... It's a pretty unknown game. Uh, not many people have heard of it. Um, by some accounts, it's considered a hidden gem. Um, some people would disagree with that. But uh, we're going to talk about it and see what we think. We'll, we'll just kind of go around at the end of the uh, episode and get everybody's take on, you know, is this game a hidden gem? Does it, li does it live up to that title? So first off, we'll name our participants for this month. And myself, and of course we're joined by my fellow co-hosts, Rich, Sean, and Floyd. We also had Dougley007 joining us in the playthrough. And we also have our special guest for this month. Um, that is uh, Pam. So welcome to the show, Pam. Hey, thanks for having me on. And I think Rich has mentioned a couple times before on this show that you actually have a YouTube channel, correct? I do, yes. It's called Cannot Be Tamed. And I make all kinds of videos. I do retro game reviews. I do some vlogs, the occasional uh, playthrough of a game. And uh, I've started making lists, which seem to be very popular. So, Yeah, you just you recently did, uh, what, original PlayStation list? Is that yeah, correct? my top five games on the PS1. Yeah, that was a great video. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Pam has a great show. Um, everyone should, uh, you know, give it a shot and watch it. Um, but be warned, uh, it may hurt your wallet a bit. She tends to review some very expensive games sometimes, and that happened to me with Rule of Rose. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people got interested in that one, and it's it's been just shooting up in price over the last six months. Just mm -hmm. since I got it, it's gone up uh, over 150 Canadian dollars. Wow. Yeah, I was actually lucky to grab that one before the uh, price bubble uh, inflated. I think I paid like 30 bucks for it. Uh, back in like 2010. Nice. 
I paid zero yeah. for mine. I've said this on the air before, but I got my copy of Rule of Rose as a gift from Stephen, a surprise yeah. gift that I got in the mail, and I lost my mind when I opened it. And it I wasn't a, mentioned this on the show before. It wasn't a total yeah. gift. I, I think I kind of owed you a little bit for uh, for from a previous trade where. where yeah, it was a little bit of trade karma, but yeah. the, our trades are always so lopsided in my favor. I, I know it was a, a little <laughs> bit of generosity on your part. So anyway, back to, yeah, back to folklore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, folklore was developed by um, Game Republic, which is unfortunately no longer in existence. Um, I believe Game Republic was um, founded maybe, or, or at least... Uh, he was involved with it. Um, a guy by the name of Yoshiki Okamoto, if I'm pronouncing that right. He used to work at Konami and Capcom and worked on series such as Final Fight and Street Fighter. Um, now, and then he's, I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, of course, it was published by Sony. It's an exclusive for the uh, PlayStation 3. It was released in 2007. And the game had uh, very mixed reviews when it came out. Um, you know, some people loved it some people hated it some people had a very you know middle of the road opinion on it um interestingly enough there was a sequel planned for this game it was going to be either a PSP game or possibly a downloadable move title but uh that got that idea got canned cuz the game didn't sell very well uh, the original folklore did not sell well so so they didn't greenlight the sequel and you know, I'm glad that we. Did. I'm glad there was no move uh, title because I don't think there are any good move titles. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we're going to talk about it. This game does have some motion controls, um, and I couldn't imagine if the game was entirely uh, nothing but the motion controls. But we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, the story kind of it, it takes influences from Irish mythology. And I don't know if any of you guys have anything to add to that, or maybe if you're familiar with Irish mythology. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not very familiar. I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, Greek, mm -hmm, Roman mythology, mm -hmm. um, um, even um, you know, like Norse mythology. I have a pretty good uh, grasp on, but uh, not not Irish mythology. I mean, probably the only thing I know is like leprechauns, <laughs> right? Which I don't. Which I don't think there <laughs> are any. That's it. It's all I can name. <laughs> no, Amazingly. no, they're not. Yeah. Probably just an American convention. Could be. We yeah. probably made leprechauns up at some point. I was actually surprised to see that this game was set in like the modern day. It was actually set in the year it was released, two thousand seven, mm -hmm. and the town that you explore, which is Doolin, Ireland, which I found it was actually a real place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't wow. know that. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, it's not, it does, it's it's not the same as it is in the game, but uh, yeah, it looks very rustic. It looks. I mean. Most of the time, I was thinking this game took place in like the early 1900s or maybe the 1800s, but you know, it's 2007. It's a very small mm -hmm. town. I mean, it's 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 not big. I mean, but I guess it's got all you need, right? It's got a lighthouse, it's got a pub, and it's got a church, and that's that's what that's all you need, right, to have a full functioning uh, village. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of like those like those towns that really haven't changed <laughs> for like a hundred or two hundred years. Yeah, right. You yeah. do yeah. get feeling. It's, it's a small, remote village, and. There's very little technology there. I think they show one TV in the game, and that TV looks like it's from the 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does have a VCR, yeah. so yes. Are you sure it's not a Betamax? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so we have our main characters, Ellen and Keats. Um, Ellen is a young girl. I think she's about 20 or 22. She's a college student. She receives a letter from her mother, who she believes to be dead, um, asking her to come to the village of Doolin. And our other character, Keats, is a writer for a, uh, a magazine that writes, uh, it's like an occult, uh, supernatural magazine. Um, he's just looking for her next big lead. He receives a phone call. Uh, somebody seems desperate for help, asking him to come to Doolin. They say the fairies are trying to kill them. So he's just following up on this lead. Um, Ellen and Keith sort of meet up at the top of this cliff where they witness a dead body falling to the beach below. Ellen believes it to be her mother. Um, but it, it's not. <laughs> I actually forget who, I actually forget who that, who that was. Uh, drawing a blank here. Um, Suzanne's mother. Yeah, yeah, that was that was Suzanne's mother. Yeah, that's what I was, okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, when they get to the beach below, the body's just not there. Um, they, they can't find it. But that's sort of that's the setup for our story. Ellen's just trying to figure out her past and look for her mother, and Keats is you know trying to follow up on this lead. Uh, his magazine is titled Unknown Realms, which interestingly enough was the working title of folklore. They, uh, they kept it for the uh, oh, okay. name of the magazine. <laughs> you, uh, you switch back and forth between the characters throughout the game. So uh, you're, you, uh, you'll you play each chapter with both characters. You're swapping back and forth. You get to see the game from both perspectives. Um, Ellen is guided by a character named Scarecrow. Um, and Keats is guided by uh, this other character named Belgi. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. It works for me. Balazs <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, something like that. I, I'm not sure. He's a, he's sort of a, a Yeah, he looks like Phantom of the Opera. He's like an invisible a man kind of thing, too. <laughs> he's definitely a dandy. I mean, he's got his, uh, you know, his derby uh-huh. hat and, uh, you know, spectacles. He's got that puffy yeah, shirt. Sort of like the invisible. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and he's always carrying a book, mm-hmm. too, you know. He's always holding that book out, which is very strange, but... Yeah, and you find over the course of the game, it seems like they uh, they start having like opposing motives. Um, it starts to feel a little adversarial at times, um, but you're you're kind of kept in the dark for a while. You're not really sure what the true motive of each guide is. Uh, you, that, that sort of unfolds throughout the game. A little bit of a detective narrative. You know, you're trying to solve a murder mystery, uh, you know. and then. The cutscenes are kind of odd in this game in that there's a few different ways that they present them to you. You have some fully voiced CGI cutscenes, which unfortunately are kind of underutilized. Um, there's just a handful of these full motion cutscenes with uh, actual voice acting. There's very little voice acting in the game, um, which is kind of a shame because it was pretty well done. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something you and I went back mm-hmm. and forth about about this game. It's um, the the cutscenes are really beautiful. Um, I like the way they're set up. I like the comic book style. Um, but you know, and and I like all the voice acting. It's very good. But um, it, it seems like there just isn't enough right. of it, and it seems odd that you know that when there is, uh, you know, voice acting, 
and it's voiced, it, it's it's really great. But when it's not there, it's quiet and it seems out of place. It seems very very odd. Floyd, didn't you do a little research on that or find something out about that? And it, you'd mentioned something about maybe it wasn't in the budget or um, yeah, I'm, that was I'm sort of a speculation. I'm assuming that. I mean, aside from the um, first like fully acted cutscene that you get at the beginning, which is fairly standard in games, but um, sort of everything after that was um, like, I don't know, half animated, I almost want to say. Um, yeah. And it, it, it turns out it was just a, a budget thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, we did some research into this and the, the, the scope or the ambition of this game was quite larger than what the final product yes. really was. So mm-hmm. right. maybe... Um, you know, maybe the uh, the big wigs at the top kind of said, you know, tone it down, or or who knows, maybe they kind of ran out of resources and had to start mm-hmm. dialing things back, which is unfortunate because yeah. a lot of the things in this game work really well. And I um, agree. yeah, it's those are kind of blemishes that it has. Right, right. Well, well just kind of getting back to the story, I guess we we talked about this being sort of a um, detective narrative and. Um, Pam, I want to get your thoughts on um, just the story and kind of what your thoughts were on the story and sort of how it developed through the game. I initially really liked the story. I mean, it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything particularly, I mean, beside the Netherworld stuff, the sort of Mm -hmm. Doolin narrative is pretty standard, you know, detective Mm -hmm. story stuff. Um, But I did like that they added the fairies in there that sort of added something interesting although i wasn't so to- i don't think they totally like stuck the landing on that one um like it, mm-hmm. how it came mm-hmm. together but the story right. was pretty good uh at the at first i enjoyed that you got to experience as both ellen and keats though after a while i thought that sort of started to wear out its welcome mm-hmm. yeah. yeah pretty quickly mm-hmm. yeah yeah, just the the repetitiveness of the gameplay as far as, you know, having to transverse the same areas, you know, twice, which I'm sure is something we're going to get into a little later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of made it drag. In, in terms of the story, though, um, it, you would get different sides of the story and you would see where the story overlapped. And I like the way they did that. You would... You would see the, the story, you know, or experience maybe the same cutscene from... From a different Keith's angle. angle. Right, right, and then just kind of see how those kind of mesh together. Um, I, I don't know how the rest of you played the game, but as I played, I played as um, um, uh, I played as Keats second and Ellen first. That's what I did. So I, I played as her, and then and I would just and I would just alternate. Um, you could, uh, you do have the option of playing up to level what through level six. Is that right? Um, with one character and then going back and doing it with the other character if you'd like. I don't think you have to alternate. Yeah, yeah I did that for one. Like, I did Ellen 2 and 3 before I did mm-hmm. Keats uh, Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did that work? Did you just find that, like, alternating just seemed to make the story go better? Um, I think maybe I might get a little confused if I didn't go back and forth. Yeah, it got a little more confusing and harder to remember the previous chapters going mm-hmm. out of order, but it also mm-hmm. made it feel a little bit less repetitive. So Right, right. I think one of the things that you had mentioned was that the detective story in town um, was sort of standard fare. It was a little, it was a little simple. 
Um, and then the, you know, the more elaborate story probably uh, was what was going on in the folk world. And then you had to kind of pull it together to make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think what really kept me going in the game, playing the game and really in, enjoying it and, you know, kind of pushing me to go from chapter to chapter was the actual story in the town. Oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know what it was. It did seem very standard, but, you know, anytime you have like an unsolved murder um, or something like that, and you're trying to figure it out. Um, I think I think they did a good job of presenting that, giving you just enough between every chapter to make you sort of, um, you know, want to play the game more. Yeah, I agree. That I think it was just pulled together better in in mm -hmm. the town, whereas in the Netherworld, though the story was a little bit more unique, you didn't really know where anyone was coming from, like the Fairy Lord and uh, Levain. You didn't know what their motives were exactly, right. so right. it's a little bit nebulous. Right, right, and that, and that's yeah. That I mean, that's the part of the game that that I liked as well. Um, you, you know, you you didn't know like, I mean, there were times I was like, well, you know, I I don't know if I can trust the fairy lord, and there were times where like I don't know if I can trust Keats, um, uh, and Levan. I didn't know if I could trust her or not. She seemed like a very um, sinister character. Um, you know, from the beginning of the game, only because I guess you know you're playing as Ellen. You 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 typically think when you're playing as the hero or the heroine that you know whatever their motives are, you you're okay. You know, you're safe in doing that and whatever. Um, there's you know whatever they're um, progressing toward as far as an outcome. But um, yeah, I, I I I got to sort of like the first few chapters in the game, and I started questioning. And am, am I working for the wrong side? You know, with each character, I couldn't figure it out. And that was uh, that was that was a really neat um, uh, concept of the game. And I thought they did that very well in this game. How about you guys, uh, Stephen Floyd, John? Um, I, I I felt like both of these characters, um, particularly Ellen, were actually you know um, really being manipulated by um, by the fairy lord because. Because he is so kind of vague that, like, mm. you do kind of think that he's got some motives that he's not um, being totally uh, open about. And I just wanted to say that I think it's interesting that you found the uh, the Doolin plot scenarios more interesting, or at least more mm -hmm. more more gripping. Because it was the total total opposite for me. I I was I was okay. not interested in what was going on in the town at all because it really? it felt okay. so lifeless and i think if there was more happening in the town like if there were people walking around i would be more interested and motivated mm -hmm. to see what's going on mm -hmm. um i yeah. kind of just would start each chapter find out who i have to talk to or what i have to do to um trigger the uh the netherworld portal and and uh, i was really more gripped by what was happening in the netherworld and i think it's partly because um, the fairy lord and Levain were kind of nebulous, like Pam already said, and mm -hmm. um, they're they're at least to me their their stories and the story of what's happening in another world, um, how it's uh, falling apart, and you have to get to the core was um, was for me more 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 interesting, and that's what really kept me going. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I guess I looked at it from a, a kind of an opposite angle in that there being so few people in the town, you knew one of them had to be the, the murderer, right? So, 
um, that kind of limitation like made it made me more curious as far as if the town was full of people and more people, I would not have been as curious. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that makes well, sense. No, that does. Cause you, you were probably coming yeah. in with more of like a detective mindset yeah. and I right, was coming exactly. in with like, um, you know, the, the mentality of like, what does Ellen want to discover here? You know, right. like I was, I was right. more behind Ellen than anyone else in this story. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I actually, I Absolutely. side with, with Rich on this one. I, I, well, I should probably disclose right now that I didn't come even close to finishing the game. I couldn't get past the, uh, the eel boss. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I, he was I a tried. pain in the butt. I tried and tried and yeah. tried and some things you just can't do. So, <clears throat> but I threw a few controls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, but I enjoyed the town parts a lot more than the uh, Nether Realm parts because it reminded me kind of a, like a, I want to say like mid to late two thousands uh, adventure type game because mm-hmm. it, you know it's talking to people this is like the RPG feel to it and also right. the aesthetic of the town kind of reminded me of like a Silent Hill game as opposed to like the whimsy of the the nether realm so i i i'm with you rich i i found the town stuff to be a lot more interesting no the the whimsy goes right out the door after chapter three (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm at a little bit of a disadvantage for this discussion unfortunately but uh but but you still bring a really good point to the table so and that's and that's why we're happy to have you here yeah, and Thanks. you played a good bit of it too. I mean, <laughs> you played a good bit of it too. I mean, making it as far as you did up to that point, um, which I think for all of us was a pretty frustrating part of the game. I think Floyd had an easier time with it than a lot of us. And, um, um, you know, it, it's kind of strange. Is This is, I just wanted to mention, um, because, you know, people don't really know what goes on behind the scenes, but um, typically when we're playing games, uh, we all text each other um the, the four of us text each other and uh kind of go back and forth this was the most interactive game that we've ever had oh, yeah. i feel like yeah i think you you mentioned that didn't you Sean? yeah that chat was just going nuts at certain <laughs> points <laughs> it wasn't always positive but no but there was a lot uh, of like we were helping each other out a lot which was kind of cool yeah. i think more than we've ever done uh with right like, basic strats and and we'll get into the the folk like gameplay the pokemon kind of gameplay and like who to use and <laughs> yeah we went over a lot of stuff in our chats with each other it was really cool yeah yeah it probably i think our chats kept me away from um, watching any playthroughs of the game, so which was which was really nice. I felt like um, I felt like it was the '80s again, and I was calling my buddies <laughs> up on the phone about uh, you know, hey, I, I finally made it past this point, or um, hey, what did you use to get past this point? You know, and uh, it, it really felt like old times again, which was really nice. And uh, I think that's a, a big part of us, you know, only doing one game now. We're going to probably do this a lot more and have a lot more fun with this, uh, sort of back and forth, which will be nice, I think. Anyone else? Anyone else have anything they want to talk about as far as the story was concerned? Anything that that really stood out? You liked or disliked about it? Well, there was a uh, a plot twist uh, somewhere in there that mm. uh, there's yes. a young girl in the game that you see named Cecilia who has is an instrumental to the uh, whole murder mystery that you know happened like 17 years ago or whatever in the game, 
and you find out that that's actually your main character, Ellen. Um, like everybody in the village mm-hmm. believes Cecilia to be dead, but it turns out that uh, no, she just her mother sent her off somewhere, and Ellen just has these repressed memories. She doesn't remember anything from that time, and I think me and Floyd called that one. We said it was pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? I didn't see it. Oh, I I, I did know that she was mm-hmm. the girl. Um, I, I did figure that out pretty quick. I mean, they look very right, similar yeah. too. Um, what I, I I didn't catch the the um, sort of the addition of that plot twist, which was um, and and by the way, Pam, we don't care about spoilers. <laughs> <on this show. laughs> um, which was the additional twist of everyone thought that she was the murderer. She's the one that had murdered um, the people of the town mm-hmm. or been a part. Yeah, of it, so. I, I remember those. Uh, There's like the cutscenes where it shows like um, the man trying to attack her, and like it makes it look like she pushed the man off the cliff. And I was like, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm buying that. Well, a five year old girl right. pushed the man off the cliff. Um, so I mean, I knew right. there was like some somebody else, you know, and. Um, yeah, they, they kind of try to mislead you with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which is nice. I mean, it's a, that's a nice, that's a, that's a nice addition mm-hmm. to the story. I thought, you know, the, the, I, I like it when a story tries to mislead you a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of toys with you, which I, I thought was good. I don't know. Maybe the only one. <laughs> no, no, I agree. <laughs> no, no, I liked it too. And wasn't there a second yeah. plot twist? Um, as well? <laughs> you find out that the, the boy from, the past um name is Irve. uh it was a uh, cecilia's friend he had a uh, terminal illness and he he died uh you know the 17 years ago in the story and you find out that he's like kind of sort of keats it, it's it gets a little convoluted here but uh like yeah. like he's yeah um at one point weren't they like in a room together they were talking together or something yeah it's and, and there's the drawing exactly, yeah, too the drawing. End, yes which yeah it's very strange it's just very strange i couldn't i, I couldn't put like, that together yeah, but now that you like, say that i think yeah. the, the game drives the point home that Irve did die so it's not so keats isn't actually mm-hmm. Irve, but he he's like 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 a manifestation of like of like an adult of like an adult um out of out of ellen's mind right. or something like that because because uh, of the drawing but there's some or, sort or some of psychic, spiritual connection yeah yeah Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Pam? What did you think about that? I mean, did you did you catch on to that or did you have any thoughts about the connection between Keats and uh Irve? Uh I totally did not see that twist coming. Um that was a bit of a surprise and I'm actually glad it was something like that cuz a lot of the time in the story I was thinking like why is Keats even here? I mean, Ellen is clearly the protagonist and it's her story and uh Keats is just, you know, some guy who works at a magazine, and I didn't really understand his purpose a lot of the time. <laughs> so it, it is good that he was actually involved in the story more. Yeah, yeah. He was like a David Duchovny character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you will. Oh. Sorry, I've been obsessed with X-Files. Just because we're watching recently. all this uh, X-Files right now. But, but like, <laughs> Keats became super integral towards the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure did. And, yeah. uh, you know, sort of as a... Uh, um, acted as sort of Ellen's guardian, and, and and like you guys were talking about this story, I could I could never tell like if if Keats was going to be sort of adversarial mm-hmm. toward Ellen. I thought at some point I was like, oh man, these yeah, guys are going to go edit it. That's, that's what I expected. They really hint at that. They they try to make you think that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but 
I think at some point Keats, mm-hmm. he really opens up Ellen's eyes and um, shows her that, you know, the fairy, fairy Lord is just manipulating her and, um, and they, uh, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. <sighs> well, I, 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 I think, <laughs> sorry, you know, in, in defense of, of the fairy Lord, um, cause he wanted to remove the spear in like the, the tree of life kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that would kind of bring the, the real world into just like a, a, a state of bliss or something like they would never know sadness. They would never know pain and stuff like that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Ellen decides that, like, no, you know, feeling sadness and feeling pain and, and loss and all that stuff is what makes us human. And that's why right. I'm going to leave uh, the spear in the tree because, you know, mm-hmm. life is all about um, obstacles and overcome, overcoming them. And that's ultimately what makes hu- humans humans and what makes people better people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that... Um the whole tree scene i wonder if that has anything to do with i would be curious if that has anything to do with irish uh folklore or um you know mythology in mm-hmm. that sense i mean it's very um it's very um judeo christian as well you get that sort of feeling you know you got the tree of knowledge and right. the tree of life right um and so you know um with the tree of knowledge once that's eaten from you can't ever go back and that's where fear and death come mm-hmm. into the world um, so it's very similar to that. Just wanted to sort of point that out. I think the only Irish thing it was missing was um, was a Clada ring. I think that's how you pronounce it. You know, the ring with the hands and the heart and the crown. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> that's the only <laughs> Irish thing it was missing. <laughs> yeah, it was good, though. I mean, um, there's some good music in mm-hmm. the game, I thought. Um, if we want to kind of maybe talk about that next um, and... And I'd like to hear what everybody kind of thought about the music. Yeah, I thought the game. soundtrack was great. Um, it's a lot of like yeah. little piano melodies with violins, and it has a very um, like fantastical, supernatural kind of feel mm-hmm. to it. Um, yeah, I thought the soundtrack mm-hmm. was definitely a highlight for me. Yeah, you get the pitchiness mm-hmm. with the violins mm-hmm. sometimes when it gets exciting, um, and then there's there's other times when it's the music's very sort of fantastical it reminds me of um i'm sure you guys know uh who danny mm-hmm. elfman is oh yeah mm-hmm. um uh, so uh it, it, a lot of the bit the music sort of like it, it almost seemed like it took from um you know that style or, or they were trying to mimic that style which if, if you're going to mimic a style i mean what better style to mimic than that i mean he's fantastic. probably yeah because there was a lot of pieces that had like a lot of a lot of pomp mm-hmm. yeah. yes yes and that kind of, you know, ah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. kind of, that's all warm and sad. You know, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know. Uh, so, um, you know, um, I, I really dug the music in this mm-hmm. game. I thought it was, thought it was really well done. I thought, um, you know, with the action sequences, the music would speed up, you know, with the boss battles and things like that, it got really intense. And so everything seemed to, um, you know, very, um, to fit sort of, um, very mm-hmm. well. Uh, with the music. Yeah, like the uh, so. the music in in the village was sort of doomy and mm-hmm. haunting, mm-hmm. so it kind of gives mm-hmm. you the impression that something's not right there. And um, right. Uh, another little thing so, about the music was, um, the music would pick up in in volume, and um, I think it would change to like the battle theme when enemies spotted mm-hmm. you. But if you because mm-hmm. you have the option to avoid combat, it would mm-hmm. sort of fade back into. Um, the the level music which i thought that was a nice touch right right yeah 
yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it shows you that they really paying attention to the game and, and working in, uh, you know, both their, uh, you know, sort of the action with the music and not just, you know, just sort of it, it, ignoring that and just playing like one mm-hmm. tune throughout, you know, which was nice. Yeah, it's it's not, it's more than just being there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how about, um, I guess we should move on and talk a little bit about the um, the graphics in mm-hmm. the game and... Um, so, yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, so yeah. It's just uh, another <laughs> highlight for me. Um, I feel like this game kind of has a unique art style. I'm not really sure what you would call it, but it's not. It's not like anime. It's not like like very realistic. But it's just. It's very mm-hmm. colorful and it looks. It looks really good. Like I think this game that came out almost ten years ago looks better than a lot of the games I've been playing. You know, recent releases. You know, like like mm-hmm. uh, you know, played Fallout Four recently, and this game is much more appealing to look at than something like that um again just another highlight yeah yeah i mean the color palette for this game is fantastic Mm -hmm. lots of purples lots of pinks lots of bright colors in the fairy world um but um you know in in each individual um stage it's sort of highlighted by you know different colors you know the underwater scenes they're very for instance a lot of blues of course and green uh to fit um but it's very um I don't, I don't say neon, but it, it borders sort of like right on the edge of almost being, you know, neon, uh, but not. Uh, yeah, I can kind of see that. really brightens mm-hmm. up your TV. Yeah, it really brightens up your TV, and it uh, it looks great. As someone who hasn't played a lot of, you know, newer games, uh, I, I just found this to be probably the most beautiful game I've played, you know, so mm-hmm. far. Um, you know, um, in, in, in relation to, like, color in that sense. Pam, Sean, you have any thoughts on the uh, um, the uh, the art style of the game? Yeah, I have to agree. One of the things that really turned me on, I, I was really high on this game when I started it. You know, before I mm-hmm. you know got slammed by the eel boss, and w- one of the things that blew me away, like within my first hour of playing, was the amazing lush detail of the environments and the graphics. Like not just the colors; the colors are amazing, sure. and there's a just a vast range of colors, but the there's some intricate details in in the backgrounds that I was really surprised to see um, from such an early PS3 game. And I like I really like um, environments in games that look like you can kind of just stop and look at them for a minute. Um, it's hard to explain, but I, I, you know, I just call them like stop and look around moments. And I found a lot of those actually in the town, like when you went in somebody's house and there was no music, it's quiet, especially if there wasn't another character there. Um, just to look around, the detail they put in some of those houses was kind of amazing. And you could just kind of look at the objects in the house and it feels like they all felt like places where people could actually live or or did actually live. So not just... The lush, colorful, again, the, the, the game is so um, diametric in the, this amazing lush colorfulness of the netherworld, but then also this like sparse, cold, lived-in, uh, stark environment of these uh, little houses in Doolin. Uh, that really mm-hmm. like caught my attention. Awesome. Awesome. Pam, did you have any thoughts on the, the art style? Uh, yeah, I really liked 
the art style. It was colorful and it was attractive. Uh, the graphics were pretty good for early PS3. Uh, I did find that the sort of graphic novel mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of style for some of the cutscenes, I really liked those mm -hmm. at first. And then after a while, uh, they sort of lost their charm mm -hmm. for me. Like they felt a little bit empty. I wish they had had a little more um, voice acting oh, with them or some more mm -hmm. animation. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, it, was, it would be sort of that um, sort of freeze frame almost animation where, um, you know, you would just get like a picture and the camera would kind of move, mm -hmm. you know, with the picture, but there was no like, you know, there was no animation or no action or anything like that. Um, and it was sort of yeah. bordered by this, um, um, this sort of frame. It was kind of framed in with this sort of... Um, uh, from what I remember, was it like leaves or something like that, sort of cross hatching? Yeah, it was very earthy and leafy. Uh, look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which was which is sort of odd. And I think that, um, I can't remember who said it. We were kind of texting back and forth. But somebody said it. Sometimes you couldn't tell who was saying what. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had yeah, that problem I, a couple times. Yeah, I remember <laughs> thinking that. Because there'll be um, multiple characters on the screen, and there's a bubble. They're just text bubbles, and it's not clear like who's saying it. I think there were even insta instances where... There were multiple characters in a room, but there's it's showing like a part of the room where and no characters are standing there, and it's like there's somebody from like out of the frame is supposed to be talking. So there's just like a bubble, and you have really no idea who's supposed to be saying those words. But, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a little 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 weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd have to sort of you know thank goodness one of the things I did like about those scenes was you you could actually rewind them. And you could fast forward them mm -hmm. if you wanted to. I mean, you really didn't want to do that. But you could actually, once you got to the end of sort of a frame, you could actually rewind. And um, if something didn't make sense, you could probably put it together. Because some of the some of the um, some of the frames would just go by really fast, and you wouldn't be able to catch mm -hmm. everything. Um, and so I thought that was that was a nice addition to that portion of the game. I, I like being able to do that in case I you know missed. Um, you know, part of the story to help me sort of put it together a little bit better. Um, so I, I did appreciate that at least in, in that, in that portion. But, um, I, I'm like the rest of you guys. I, I, I just wish that there would have been a lot more voice acting. I think it would have, um, uh, I think they had tremendous voice actors and if they would have utilized that a lot more, it'd been so much mm -hmm. better. I, I can, so. I can live with the little amount of voice acting that was in there. And I, I do like the, um, comic book scenes like they're really creative really unique like i don't think there's too much out there at the time that was doing it um but what i really didn't care for was the um just like two character models and then speech bubbles mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i i found that really really dull i guess really simple um and, and especially when the conversation got really heated and then the characters would just have such weak animations. Yeah, I felt like that was, you know, the most boring and dull of the various different uh, styles of cutscenes in the game. Um, yeah, like that felt like reading, whereas the comic books didn't feel so much like reading. It was more um, like I was, yes, I was reading, but I was like uncovering the story and, and mm -hmm. like getting deeper into the mystery. Yeah. 
When you talk about the characters' animations, one of the things that really started bothering me was that Ellen's default pose was sort of cowering, like <laughs> <Yeah>. hunched over, <laughs> mouth open, hands in front of her right. face. <laughs> that was her reaction yeah, to everything. Yeah, just defeated, mm-hmm. you know, confused, bewildered, yeah. which I guess, um, I, I guess it makes sense, um, um, you know, considering the game and, you know, her being someone who doesn't... Um, know what her past was or can't remember her past and is trying to, you know, sort of dig that up. But it, it was a little much. And I agree with that. It was a little much to, to have that as sort of like her default pose. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you can push that with the story. You don't have to necessarily do all that with the, uh, you know, the body language with the character. Mm-hmm. And it felt kind of anime tropey also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made her feel, it made her seem weaker mm-hmm. than what she was. I mean, and she's such a strong character in the game. Um, that uh, I don't I don't think there was any need for that. Um, I I mean I'll be honest, and um, we can go ahead and get into some gameplay. But I, I really enjoyed playing with her more than I did Keats, and I don't know that there was um, there were a few differences, but for for whatever reason, I just sort of enjoyed her character a little more. Yeah, I think the um, they play very very similarly, but I think the one of the biggest differences is that. When Ellen summons one of the folks, she actually like summons it in front of her, so she, the folk can take the hit mm-hmm. for her, and it makes her seem a little more defensive. Whereas Keats sort of, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's he's still attacking himself, but like utilizing the power of the folks. Um, They're an extension right, of them, exactly, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's uh, it's, it's a lot easier to avoid taking damage as Ellen, which I think makes it a little easier to play as her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'd mentioned that before, and I think, Floyd, I think you might have um, said you didn't kind of see that, or you didn't kind of agree with that, but that, uh, you know, her character seems to be a little more defensive, as we were kind of talking about, Keats, and character seems a little be a little more offensive, because I guess we should sort of mention that Keats has this ability called Transcendence, which is just this sort of meter that builds up, and once it fills all the way up, you can sort of activate it by pushing down the thumbsticks, and... Um, and you can just go to town, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I mean, you're pretty much unstoppable. No, you are unstoppable. You're, you're invincible. And all that. <laughs> yeah. During that. Yeah. Phase. Uh, right. Which is which is kind of a. It, it's kind of neat. To me, both of them felt offensive, um, unless mm-hmm. you're using like a shield type. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But Ellen kind of felt like she could attack from a little bit of a greater range. Um, even even with close range guy, close range uh, folks, um, mm-hmm. because the folks kind of did the fighting for her, and right. because Keats kind of uses the folks as an extension of him, so he would sort of get into closer combat. Um, okay. I actually had most the most game overs with Keats actually. Mm, okay, that's interesting. I don't think I I don't think I really paid attention. I probably had the most with. With Ellen, only because I had to fight that eel ball so, oh, many, yeah. so many times with her, uh, uh, to, to the point of just uh, just wanted to rage quit, mm-hmm. but but not doing but not doing it. Kind of pushing. She was, I was actually so. fine with freezing the tail and then using the slash guy, and yeah. Keats was, I think, freezing and then lightning or something, and I kept yeah, I kept yeah. missing with lightning. Yeah. Oh, really. Oh wow! It's a completely opposite experience for me. <laughs> I think this whole time <laughs> is like some others. We're going to be opposites to each other. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should kind of talk a little bit about the the gameplay and controls. Um, 
it's um it's a third person action sort of rpg um you do level up i i don't i don't i don't know that i really noticed in the game that my character got any stronger if there was any sort of benefit of leveling up did, did you guys i mean is there any sort of benefit no, to nothing it? that i actively noticed but if you press the select button right. it brings up a menu that shows you some information and every time you level up your hp does go up slightly but uh it wasn't refills okay it does refill yes it refills and uh, it actually the maximum value increases um but it wasn't something that i really noticed felt kind of felt a little right. tacked on to me actually yeah yeah i think there's a lot of those things in the game that that sort of feel tacked on and i agree that's sort of one of them um the i guess the other thing about this game is that um you basically as, as Sean mentioned, I'll probably let him sort of talk about it a little bit. You mentioned something about the, the sort of Pokemon aspect to this game. If you want to talk about that a little bit and how that works into the gameplay. Yeah, sure. So the enemies that you fight are known as folk or folks, and you basically pummel them until their spirit, or it's called the id, turns red, right? It turns from blue and then red. Am I correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so when it turns red, you can do this like Ghostbusters. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's a great description. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It's like this uh, electric lasso kind of Mm -hmm. thing that looks like the Ghostbusters uh, proton packs that you can kind of rope the the folk in and uh, gain their powers. And that's where the motion controls come in. And I guess we could talk about that. I didn't have a problem. Rich, I know you had a, a lot of issues with these motion controls, which I I tend to in general. I don't like motion controls very much at all unless it's like a light gun game, if that even counts. Um, mm-hmm. But here you have to, uh, most of the time you're just kind of like jerking the controller up in the air like quickly. And But then with the bosses, there's different maneuvers you have to do, like steering right. the controller or... Um, you know, flicking it at the right time. It's, it can be, I mean, for the most part, it, for me, in my experience, it worked pretty well. I have more complaints about the camera than I do the motion controls. Um, but Rich, I know you weren't, you weren't a huge fan of those, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's the, the folk system it's and how it's related to the, the motion controls there. So when you, when you beat the folk and you, you, you basically inherit their powers and there's dozens of them from each mm-hmm. world and they all have elements and, um, the elements correspond with weaknesses of, of certain characters. And that's where most of our chatting and texting with each other was like, who do I use to beat this guy? What element is that? Where did you get that folk? You know what I mean? That That's, that's right. where all the strategy, I guess you can call it kind of comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I got a better at the motion controls. I, I, I started to enjoy them a little bit more. I don't know if it was a, an issue with my controllers or anything like that from damage of being thrown <laughs> around. Um, I'm kidding, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did. I had some problems. The, the, the one of the most aggravating was the one where you had to like tilt the controller and get it like to the center. Yeah. And it would, you know, that was, that was the most aggravating one for me. Um, oh, for, for I, me that the most aggravating, the dumbest one was, I think it was called stop and go. 
And you have to shake the controller yes. so violently, and then and that. then you stop. <laughs> and then you shake, 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 and you stop. Me too. And, they, and they use that one a lot too late in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's annoying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, what what were some of the the others? Sean mentioned was the uh, um, it would sort of uh, be up, it'd be kind of blue, it'd be up really high, mm-hmm. and it would like it would kind of bounce down, and once it bounced mm-hmm. down, you had to like pop up on the controller. Mm-hmm. Um, that one wasn't so bad, and that was basically the technique that you used to capture most of the um, um, sort of the general folks, and not just the folklore mm-hmm. that you followed. So there was kind of like the the, the, the whacking side to side. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually yeah, like that one. That was a fun yeah. one because that one would go the fastest. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can just slam them around. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that fun. balancing one too much, but it wasn't used yeah, a lot, yeah. so yeah. I was I was glad that wasn't used a lot, and uh, and the final boss you have to use all of them, don't mm-hmm. you? From what I remember, I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's just sort mm-hmm. of integrated them all, which is which kind of neat. But I, I I like that idea that um the uh, the motion control was sort of trying to represent, which was like you're you're kind of wrestling with their um mm-hmm. with their spirit spirits. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was good, and um you know I I, I think I mentioned at one point I um. You know this this game, I, I liked it and and it was it was okay, but um, I I probably would have just preferred like um mush um a button mashing sequence, you know, or something like that. I don't know. I I am kind of maybe I might have to back off of that statement a little bit, but at one point in the game, I sort of felt that way. But uh, what's worse, these motion uh, controls or QTEs? Yeah, see, see now you're bringing up that these motion. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's my. See, I my would rather do a motion. I would rather do a motion <laughs> control to uh, capture the uh, the folks. I, yeah. Pam, what did yeah. you think about these controls? And do you like motion controls in general? It's a very, I guess, acquired taste. Uh, no, I don't like motion controls at all. I feel like they've never really added anything to a game. I think there's one game I thought motion controls added something to the game can you say what game um, is it we bowling <laughs> we sports bowling uh no it was um oh cool rain. agreed yeah oh, that's point. one of my favorites yeah and, and see i haven't yeah. played that yet i, I want to play that we're gonna have to do that for a playthrough at some point but um when we played indigo mm-hmm. prophecy the qtes just drove me nuts yeah uh, but but someone said um well, you need to play Heavy Rain. It's they do it better, you know. They, they kind of perfected um, it by the time Heavy Rain they, came yeah. around. Yeah, but it, it, so, it would so be weird to like, me. you know, twist the thumbstick to open the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that intrigues me that it, it also has motion controls. I had no idea. So that's that's really neat. So in folklore, I was initially very put off. The first time I was told to flick my controller upwards, uh, I eventually got used to it. And I don't know, I didn't find the motion control so bad by the end. Although I did find that stop and go shake the controller one <laughs> fairly annoying, especially since it seemed to stop oh, more yeah. than go. Oh, yeah. Like I would just be sitting there waiting for it to start yeah. again. And I also would have been completely lost without uh, clicking the right stick for mm-hmm. the tutorial because with the bosses as we said that just keeps changing the method i I relied on that a lot too yeah which was nice that they put that in the game at least right i mean that they had the Mm -hmm. tutorial i I did i did like that and you know i thought that was a good use but yeah i think at one point um i called this the controls 
This isn't six axis. It sucks axis. <laughs> it's on our Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it it was a it was annoying at first. I, I got used to it and it got better. But I don't think my family um, ever got past the point that I was a madman <laughs> playing uh, a video game. I I would just my wife would just uh, she would be sitting there reading um, a book. While I'm playing, and I just I would catch her eyes like look over at me and just her shaking her head, you know, from side to side. It's like what is going on in our living room? But uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I'll I'll tell you that I was relieved when I found that you can just sort of flick your wrist to catch the um yeah the minor folks. Yeah. Like I thought you really had to like swing the thing. We can just kind of flick your wrist, so that that made it a lot easier. Um, I don't know if I missed something, but was there a way once you locked on to something with R1 to, like, cancel? You had to get hit, I think. I, yeah. It, like, yeah, to get hit. Okay. Because I, I got annoyed by that a lot at the end when I mm -hmm. would latch on to something that I thought was something that I just had to flick for, but it ended up being something I had to mm -hmm. do something more involved. And then I would just be sitting there doing it, knowing something was yeah. going to yeah. hit me. Before I, I finish, there, there should have been a way to break mm -hmm. that. I, I don't know if there was, but um, if there was, great. That was a mm -hmm. good thing they did. But if not, uh, it was annoying. I didn't. And it's something. Oh, I didn't uh, find anything like that. I just noticed you'd get a few um, invincibility frames after, right after absorbing an id. Um, mm -hmm. But for the more like um, involved absorptions, mm -hmm. you know, like the stop and go or the, um, mm -hmm. you know, bouncing side to side you i couldn't come out of that absorption thing uh, you, i had to get hit to get out so right, that was, right. i couldn't find that was unfortunate either no yeah i want to add i'm, I'm curious how how y'all did with um w since we're talking about capturing the folk and the motion controls and we mentioned the kind of half-baked RPG mechanics that if you capture more than one folk at the same time, your experience that you get multiplies. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like I had mixed results trying to get more than one at a time. And sometimes they come at you in, in droves. So it's, it's kind of, it was kind of fun to pummel like a bunch of them with a, with a heavy folk and then try to rope in as many as you could at once. But then a lot of times yeah. that aforementioned crummy camera made it really hard to, and you could only do it at like, let's say maybe like a 40, no, probably like a 90 degree ish angle, you know? Um, yeah. Anything so, within like a 90 degree angle from your character. Right. And, so, and, and I think that folk had to be within the field of view of the camera as well. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Per perhaps, yeah. A, you know, a limitation of, you know, not, knowing how to use the hardware or something i don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you would have to set up those battles too if you wanted to pull more than one in at a time you'd have to set up i, I got to a point where and i think we mentioned that it, really in this game experience didn't matter that much um something that just sort of felt a bit tacked on and you know leveling right. up so I, I didn't really care if i got more than one at a time I, I, there wasn't any um there wasn't any added benefit in my opinion and, and it's more than grabbing more than one we might have mentioned it already, but it does. It did make your health bar a, a little bit larger, right? When you leveled up, oh, did yeah, it? I'm pretty sure we oh, mentioned that up. on the forum. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 there was a a little bit of an incentive to kind of hunt for experience and try to 
get that multiplier up. But like I said, I, I, I had fun with it at first um, and then experienced such mixed results just because of the camera and the range and everything that it was, I almost felt like it was a, it was a little bit flawed in execution. A cool yeah. idea, but mm-hmm. almost like this whole game, a cool idea that was flawed in execution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It took me a while to get used to the camera too and other aspects of the game. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, I wanted to sort of, um, gosh, I had a thought, and I hope I, I didn't escape me. Um, it, Pam had brought up about the um, the folk and how you would have to get hit um, to break, um, you know, that lock on. Um, one of the things that was um, with the characters that were more involved to capture. Um, if you were in a room with multiple characters, um, it just seems like a lot of times there, there's two ways you could defeat folk, right? You could you could capture them each time if you wanted to, or you could just just keep just pummel just them downright they defeat would, them, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Downright defeat them, uh, which which plays into other aspects of the game, which I'm, I know we're going to talk. See, about. I didn't know you could do that um, until like almost the end. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, um, and and they don't really tell you that um, unless you're you know trying to level up your mm-hmm. folk, uh, but. Um, a lot of times you would have to make this sort of choice as far as, okay, I want to capture this one, but there's no way I can capture this one with these other folk in the room, so I'm just going to have to either take out the ones that are less involved and do a quick flip and um, you know absorb those, or um, if there were two in the room that were two of those more involved folk, you would just have to take out one. I just um, ran past and them. And then just capture, <laughs> capture the other. <laughs> you know. So, so I thought I thought the game sort of it's kind of interesting. The game sort of made you make those choices sometimes. And I started kind of putting that together toward the end and uh, playing a little bit better and understanding, uh, you know, what the actions were going to be and what it would take uh, to get through a certain area. So what would that point that you just brought up reminded me of? Um, oh, in Endless Corridor, where you kind of have to go through those little mini gauntlets um it would be like capture this folk oh. first or capture it last oh yeah um, oh, yeah so would you guys defeat the the non-important folks and then capture the one you actually needed to or because what i did um is if i had to capture like the folk last and they were like those um tougher guys i kind of got them all to that point where um the ids would be coming out and then just absorb the one I needed. Um, well, there was, there's two different scenarios, right? There was the first where you, um, you go in and it says capture this one folk and that's the only one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would just go straight for that folk and do it. And I I thought that was pretty easy. That folk was usually fairly easy to take down. And and once you took that one down, the other ones would just disappear and the door would appear. Uh, for the other ones, I, I would just uh, try to avoid, um, uh, if, if I was to capture a certain folk class, I would just try to avoid that folk and just take out the other guys. And, and typically, I wouldn't absorb them. I would just try to just to beat them mm-hmm. down, just to get them out of the way, just so that, you know, uh, nothing would hit me. And, uh, you know, because I, I felt that those, um, those levels were kind of uh, a bit tedious as far as, you know, taking a lot of damage and not having anywhere to sort of refill and having to run that sort of gauntlet. Um, yeah, that's kind of what made that level feel pretty tough. Right, right. But uh, I don't know. How did you other guys play that level? Yeah, I think I did exactly way? what you did. Just take out the 
the guys you don't need and just to get them out of the way. So um, one of the things we sort of alluded to is um, as we were texting each other back and forth asking how to beat that this folk, how to beat that folk, how, what to do with a certain folklore, the game actually implemented a certain uh, feature uh, that was kind of neat um, with the storybook. Uh, and you would collect pages throughout the game. And so I just wanted to maybe sort of talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> I had to think about that one for a moment because the storybook often kind of gave you tips for like the final boss or for uh, mini bosses. But there would always be uh, fairies or those rebel guys um, uh, right before the final boss. And they would um, it would always be that guy who says like, well, what do you want to know about? Mm-hmm. And I would always say. Uh, you know, give me all the info on, you know, the folklore at the end of this level. Sure. And it would, like, he wouldn't outright say it, but it was kind of like a, like a riddle. And it would be like, mm-hmm. well, this this creature is afraid of fire and, you know, something else. So then I knew I had to yeah. do a, a fire type and a, um, a lightning type, for example. Yeah, but they wouldn't always give you all the information. It might tell you, like, one aspect of what to do. I think... I think you really had to use the book um, in this game, um, Pam. I think you. I think you had mentioned something about it, maybe on the forums. I can't remember about the the storybook and uh, your kind of thoughts on that. Yeah, I I liked the idea mm-hmm. of the storybook, but I found a lot of the time, especially when it featured the smaller folk, uh, it was hard to tell exactly which one they were. Um, which one it was referring to. I mean, it was easier when they were the larger, more unique-looking ones, but it wasn't always uh, clear exactly what mm-hmm. which folk I should mm-hmm. be using. And I also found a lot of the time, like, I got probably not even half of the total pages, so I just missed yeah. Yeah, the number of pages, so I uh, didn't know which same, one to yeah, do. Me too. Um, now, like, now, because the uh, storybook pages... Um, were sort of vague or, or a lot of the monsters look so similar. I didn't, I didn't really rely on it all that much. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was fairly easy from the beginning and I thought the pages were very helpful from the beginning, but what would happen as you, as you went to new levels and the further you got in the game, they would sort of backtrack and pull folks from previous levels that you could use. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that made it a little bit, um, that made it a little bit tougher sometimes because, um, and, and I think uh, Stephen mentioned this uh, at one point in our texting, was that um, they started reusing a lot of mm-hmm. sprites. And so it was sort of hard mm-hmm. sometimes, like with, with a reused sprite as far as, okay, which one am I supposed to be using here? Because they, 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 look, they look so alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would, have to, you would have to look at the drawing and... Um, you know, try to figure out. Okay, is it is it the one that does the ice? Is it the one that throws the sticky stuff? Um, you, you really couldn't tell uh, from the drawing. Sometimes it was, yeah, it was uh, as much of a detective story going through the storybook <laughs> as it was in the town of Doolin. Um, uh, oftentimes, I thought. Um, but one of the things I did like about the game is that um, if you were to use a character, let's say um, that had like an ice ability or something of that nature. Um, oftentimes you wouldn't have to use the exact character that was in the storybook. You could use any of the previous characters that you had picked up with an ice ability um, and still do damage to the folk. 
which was kind of yeah, cool. like the, as long as it was yeah, the same the sort of thing element. was yeah, the uh, it, element, not the folk itself. Which and it became easier to figure out, right. You know what I needed to do once I realized that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like an elemental rock paper scissors kind of system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I missed the uh, the la- the the folk pages of the book for the guy that was at the top of the tower, and I kept defeating that guy, but the door wouldn't open because you have to capture him in order to get that to open. Who was uh, that? Was who was at the top of the tower? Uh, you know, you're riding like the sort of the elevator up. You know, um, it was a reused uh, character. It's like, like, oh, was it those sort of like scythe, you know, guys? He's got the double swords. He, he you changes know. his his appearance. Yeah. Like he's he looks kind of normal, and then he turns like completely black. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You have to use two. Uh, you have to use yeah, two right. uh, on him to take him out, like yeah. fire and sleep or something. Yeah, yeah. right, right, exactly. Uh, depending on you know if you're with Keats or if you're with Ellen. But uh, yeah, that one gave me a lot of problems. Yeah, I had to look yeah. that one up online. Actually, uh, couldn't figure it out. And, Although yeah. I found towards the end of the game, you could just really rely on those uh, destroy types. Mm-hmm. They kind of mm-hmm. were were the ones that would take care of anything. Right, right. Except for boss fights, of course. No, Things I'm like thinking that. like um the the judge. Uh-huh. He just um you know. Destroy type on the mirrors and then fire on the boss itself. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what else about the gameplay? Um, I guess we, we kind of talked about the we talked about the book and the, and the only thing that that I'll say um, just to kind of close it out about the storybook is I, I like that there was a little I, I like that it wasn't exactly spelled out. I think that would have. Um, been a little bit uh, too easy, and I and I liked I liked the artwork in the book. I thought it was nice. Um, I, I liked that it was a little bit vague, but at the same at the same time, I felt like it was a little too vague, just a touch, and and I think that kind of um, um, hurt the game a bit in that regard. Again, you know, just one of these features that um, the game is is really trying to implement, and I thought it I thought it was cool, but I, I thought it could have probably been done a little bit better um you know just to make it a little easier to um to read mm-hmm. so all right all right so um anyway um we'll talk a little bit about we, we mentioned that there was a difference between ellen and keats and um we mentioned keats power surge which we talked about um but ellen um was able to collect uh cloaks did any of you guys find all the cloaks in the game did you try any of you try for that to complete the game that way I didn't find all of them. Yeah. No. No, I just got one. <laughs> but by the end of the game, I only had three, and two of them were like mandatory <laughs> story cloaks. Uh, the only yeah. one that I, I went out of my way to get was um, the one that's resilient to uh, destroy types. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the battlefield, the battlefield cloak? cloak? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a quest. That, that wasn't a side quest, yeah. And also, because right. it looks badass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I saw some clues, you know, within the game and the story of the game. It's like, well, there's a cloak in this part of the game. I, I just, I didn't go about searching. Um, the cloaks were cool. I, I like the different looks of the cloaks. I like the artwork. It was awesome. I would have liked to see more cloaks in the game. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was something I was going to go out of my way and do. You know, I just, I, I didn't, um, a lot of times I have this sort of, completionist mentality but 
but really not with the cloaks. I don't know. I almost feel like the game, like the game wasn't easy, but it wasn't tough enough that it was really worth getting the cloaks and using their, their mm -hmm. buffs and debuffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't, that's not something I even paid attention to. Did, I mean, any of you, or did you just wear a cloak? Yeah. I just went with whichever, whichever one I liked the most, like the appearance wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was no real strategy in using the cloaks. I mean, uh, I don't except for the final game. cloak, which, um, give you uh half magic usage or something or or it sped up magic regeneration oh uh, right right yeah and you just automatically get that for going into the last there, level yeah. So. the only one i found that was optional was the one in undersea city and that's just because i was having such a problem with that eel boss that i went around and tried to uh level up my folk a little bit more and it just happened to be in one of the memory oh, stones okay. that's, yeah, that I in that room up. with those slime guys yeah yeah well how about the memory stones let's talk about the memory stones what how did you, how did you guys feel about those in the game i mean um do you like that i mean that did you had to use different folk to open i didn't them up? know that um, different colors represented <laughs> different um elements <laughs> and that's that's yeah. only because the um the colored outline on your yeah um your folk the little avatar yeah it was it wasn't really pronounced you know like mm -hmm. you're like is this a red outline or is this a purple outline and I, mm -hmm. I found it tough to tell so like i stopped um sorting my folks by level and i started sorting them by by uh element and that that made things a lot easier so you knew yeah. if like okay there's yeah. a purple stone here so i need to use a lightning guy uh mm -hmm. silver ones were like anything uh, green was wind and that kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah, you definitely did have to like scroll through. And a lot of times if, if you would have like a set, um, oftentimes, you know, I found myself in a, in a, uh, in a level just having a set group of folks that I like to use and reuse and, you know, certain ones that I was really comfortable with. And um, it, it kind of broke up the game for me a little bit, having to like switch those out just to open up one of those. Um, memory stones, mm -hmm. and then have to switch, back. switch it yeah. back. It would yeah. it would have been nice if you could have yeah. kept that sort of roster of folks, because then that would be like your team, and it's kind of like an RPG. So you always like in an RPG, you always have your team. Mm -hmm. Um, so what got what folks would you always carry with you? Um, I always had a shield type, and like for ninety nine percent of the game, I used um, Gaboy. Is that uh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. same here. That yep. Lightning guy. Um, yeah, that was yeah. good. He was good. That electric mm -hmm. shock was awesome because yeah. that would uh, it, it actually enacted sort of a stun, yep. which was mm -hmm. nice. And then and then I think his name was Fomor, that sort of ogre, troll type guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. So what about what about you guys? I think it's interesting that you say you used a shield type for most of the game because I didn't use one at all. So the entire game? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I use it on a. I use it like on a few um, bosses. The uh, um, the sort of the eyeball room, mm -hmm. <laughs> or if the body parts room, if you will. <laughs> uh, I did use one in there because there was stuff kind of flying from all directions sometimes. So I found it useful. But other than that, I didn't. I didn't really use a shield in the game, Pam. I used a shield uh, not until the end, like until maybe chapter mm -hmm. five and onwards. I didn't use a shield. Okay. But then I used the uh, the sort of rainbow colored jelly guy. 
I'm not going to remember. I'm not going to remember <laughs> no, any no, of the no. names of the folks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the names are, um, uh, they're interesting, but yeah, I mean, there's no way we could go through. I mean, there's so yeah. many of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I used the jelly guy. What did, what did he do? He just reduced the incoming damage. He'd stay active okay. for a little bit. So I, I, I actually used him for uh, for the eel. Um, okay. But the rest of the time, one of the golems that you could capture would give you a mm-hmm. shield that um, deflected damage from all angles. So mm-hmm. that one was a totally overpowered shield. Was that the... the um, you talking about the... Uh... Oh, I know what yeah. you're talking about, the golem. I was I was thinking about the guy in the battlefield area, but that's not the one. No. He just kind of blocks from the front. Yeah. No, not that yeah. Patriot or something like that. Right, right, right. So we do remember some names. Good, good. Um were there were there any types that you guys used a lot? Um Um I I know like I used um usually typically the first folk you would capture uh would be sort of just like a basic attack folk. And I feel like I always had one of those and that's what I use for um, probably 95% of the game. Well, the very first yeah. folks you would run into, regardless of the level, um, were non-elemental. Right. So right. so really, y- you could keep like that very first folk that you captured in the game and like capture, you know, the fo- the folks in the first room of the last level. So, Which I guess it's, it's good in, in a sense. Right. Any... Um... I, I, I just ahead, did Pam. shield, lightning, and destroy the whole time. Okay. Pam? I liked the destroy ones. Uh, I liked anything that could attack at range mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to get too close to anything. Um, or the big guys that would sort of knock things away from you. I thought those guys were useful right. as well. And that's a good point because there, uh... there were a lot of moments where you needed crowd control. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Um, I, I think... You know, other than, other than, like I used Gaboy as well, and that that was one that always uh, found its way into my um, into my inventory. Um, but but I found one that was from a, a quest. Uh, there was a rare, um, there was a rare one from a quest. It was like a walking bomb, mm-hmm. and that one was pretty useful uh, in some areas. It, it it unfortunately it didn't do a lot of damage. You had to use it a lot. And it would take you a long time, a longer time to maybe clear a room, but it became sort of a safer way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could just keep throwing it out, and before they would get up, I mean, it would just explode again. And you know, I found it a, a kind of a cheap but effective way to not take da- a lot of damage mm-hmm. in the game uh, as I was going through a lot of levels. So, but uh, but good. Um, I guess we should talk a little bit about the folk, and um, as far as. There was another feature in this game where you could um, you could actually level up your folk if you wanted to, um, and instead of like some games where you have, if you just constantly use um, an item or something, it levels up or a weapon. Um, in this, you had to meet certain requirements to help level up the folk, and it might increase its attack power. It might increase. Um, uh, or reduce the magic you have to use to use the folk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could give them gems or like, was it like sap or gold dust or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just all kinds of strange things that you would collect mm-hmm. throughout the game. Well, I didn't really uh, do any of that unless it was like, you know, defeat X number of this certain type with that certain type. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, I never really saw a, a really big need to power re power any anything up. I think the only ones I would power up would be those um, uh, beginning folks, you know, with that that normal sort of attack. If I could power those up in any way, since I use that about like I said, ninety five percent of the time, I, I would maybe um, you know use some of the items or it would say capture so many folks or destroy so many folks, um, you know, and I would kind of you know do that. You know, but that's that's about it. I wouldn't go out of my way to collect like nuts or crystals or you know whatever uh, dust, like you said. So, anyone yeah, else? I think very <laughs> very early dust. in the game, I uh, I was really going out of the way. Like in chapter one, I was going out of the way to uh, you know level up the folks, and uh, I never felt like when they would level up, it made much of a difference. So I I started ignoring that component of the game after a while. But yeah. yeah. Well, your, your magic bar... Oh, I'm sorry, Pam. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, I thought it was pretty unintuitive about how you level them. Um, I mean, having to destroy things with it, that I guess is okay. Although I tended to absorb the ids rather mm, than actually destroy most right. of the folks. So, And I also just... Uh, there's so many folk, and they've all got you know four different ways that they can level up, and you can't really remember what you're supposed to be doing if you're supposed to be killing it or if you're supposed to be absorbing it you're supposed to be giving it an right. item so it's just a lot to keep track yes. of and then also from a uh, a ui point of view it was a little weird because on the one page you had all of your items but you couldn't use the items from the, that page you had to go into the specific folk and then just see if that was the item that yeah. they needed yeah I think this game felt like you had to do a little bit too much research, if that makes sense. I mean, you had to you had to stop gameplay so much. It kind of broke up the flow of the game to see, okay, how am I going to level this character up? Okay, I need to look at the book to see like how I'm going to defeat this next folk. Um, you know, or, or you know, or I need to swap my folks out. I need to research. I need to see what I need for here uh, at this part to open up this block. Um, I don't know. It, it just it, it felt like there was so much of that going on. Um, all like all very good like individual ideas, but too many small individual ideas tried to pack in into one game. If that if that makes sense. No, no I'm I'm glad you said that because I felt the same way. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of nuts. Did anybody speaking of unnecessary things in the game? Did anyone <laughs> do any side questing? <laughs> I actually did. I I got to okay. a point. I, I was hitting my head on the wall with the boss before the eel boss, and I thought when I was still not clear on the RPG elements and the powering up and how kind of unhelpful all of that stuff was, as we just discussed. Um, I did all of key, not all of the side quests I had available for Keats at the time. I did like four of them in in a row. And I actually, I liked the side quest because you just went to the tavern, talked to the, the bartender. He gave it to you. You were immediately transported to whatever world they were in. You just did the side quest and were immediately transferred back. There was no um, traveling. It was almost like a fast travel thing. And you were just kind of put into sure. this like segmented side quest, like it, like a canned side quest. And I, I enjoyed that part of the game, actually. Okay. 
And, and you could do them at night and during the day. You would get different quests at night and during the day, I think I should add. Yeah, I only did a cluster um, of Keats's at night, so I don't know. Yeah. I didn't experience doing ones during the day, so. Okay. Now, if you were to, like, let's say, and, and I don't know, I'm asking you guys this, if you were to um, finish a chapter and you saw side quests in a previous chapter and you didn't finish them, could you go back and do them, or did you have to do them at the time? inside the chapter i don't think so i think um what once you reach the chapter that um side quest would unlock and it would stay be there the it whole would time. stay there the whole okay. time until you did it yeah okay and there was something else too there was something below uh that said like was it like a downloadable there were downloadable quests, quests which i really? didn't even bother with no i i didn't even where would you get those from i guess the store Probably PSN store, yeah, maybe their server, I don't Rich. know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> it's called uh, downloading. That's that's when you uh, you get digital information from the internet onto your console, and you can play a game. And it's it's really weird. You don't get like a physical disc or anything. I, <laughs> they're they're not really collectible. <laughs> But these the oh. DLC was free for this game, wasn't it? Or am I parroting I something know. that I incorrectly heard somewhere? I think there was like one of the episodes was free at least. So okay, is it still available right now? I, I mean, didn't I, check I did, either. No, I, did, I didn't check no. in on it. Okay, okay, because I didn't see anything when. Uh, well, I did. I didn't even look. Honestly, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even look. So, um, but all right. So, anyone else do any side questing other than Sean? I didn't do a ton of them, just just a small handful. But I think maybe one of you guys mentioned that some of these side quests actually um, add a little bit to the story. Um, did you guys see any mm-hmm. like that? Because yep. I, I didn't do any of those, I don't think. Are you talking about Suzette's side quest? I, I suppose yes. I'm not yes. sure. Yeah, there's there's some Suzette side quest toward the end that I actually did. Because she's absent from the end of the game, and I guess that side quest explains why, right? Yes, yes, it does. Um, it it kind of gives you some other perspective into what was going on with her, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know her story, which was which is interesting. Um, well, since um, you're probably the only person who did her side oh quest, gosh, do you want to? Don't get me to talk about <laughs> it. I, I <laughs> my memory is so bad. Uh, I know I know she ended up leaving the town. I know she blamed um, Ellen a lot mm-hmm. uh, for things that were going on, and I think she might have been involved in one of the murders. Hmm. I think she was, um, yeah, I think she I, was cor- the person behind all the murders that occurred um, during the course of the game. So the, the doctor and the, mm-hmm. the woman that was in the wheelchair. Um, and, and that was, mm-hmm. you know, my point of view, I, I never understood why she actually murdered those people. So maybe that's something the mm-hmm. side quest uh, explained. Well, Ellen's mother murdered a lot of those yeah. people too, though, right? Well, uh, yeah, so the people for I, the people I, from uh, in the past, like seventeen years ago. Um, right, right, yeah. right, right. And I think I think it explained um, a little bit of that. Um, you know what was going on and why. I can't I can't really recall. My memory's <laughs> just not that <laughs> no. good with the game. What was was Ellen's mother alive at the end of the game, or or whenever Ellen and and her mother kind of got reunited, or was that sort of like in some weird place where time doesn't exist or whatever. It seemed to me like she was alive. Um, That's what I thought too. And then she does mm-hmm. actually die um, 
yeah he's talking to her mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah was anyone else freaked out by that uh freaky deer head <laughs> oh, kept, pervy deer head. I kept uh hitting on ellen <laughs> yeah that was bizarre <laughs> i don't know if that was necessary <laughs> um but um I guess we'll just kind of move on a little bit and talk about, we've talked about the folk, and um, there's also these characters known as folklore, which is where the game gets its title, uh, and these were um, basically your in-stage bosses, um, and they often, you often had to use various folks to defeat them, and you would kind of figure out through the storybook if you got all the pages, um, or like Floyd said, from clues uh, from some of the NPCs. Um, but, um, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the boss fights and we can talk about them in general or individual. However you guys want to do it. Doesn't matter to me. Well, is it, is it uh, unanimous that everybody's least favorite is the chapter three eel boss? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Definitely for me it was. Same here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would have, uh, if I hadn't agreed to be on the podcast, I would have yeah. quit the game right there. <laughs> well, I'm glad we asked you before you forgot, before you uh, quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was extremely frustrating. Um, for me, I, I mean, it took me a while. It was one of those things and where I felt like it was like an older video game where you have to really learn the fight. Um, because when the eel would come through, it, wherever it landed, it would go to the right. It would go one space to the right. It did that on two passes, and then on the third pass, it would come through, and wherever it went through or passed you by, it would move two spots to the left. Really? I didn't so even notice that. there was a pattern that. to it. Well, I always thought there was a pattern. it would go to, because the battlefield was a circle, I always thought it went to the diagonal across, um, you know, hole or whatever three times and then was it on the third or on the fourth it would come out and kind of just swim around for a bit and that was your opportunity to attack right it was after the third uh pass uh, yeah um as, as i said like he would come out of one hole and he'd go into another and then he would he would end up facing like the first time it would be one space to the um to the right i think it was to the right so be like, uh, and then that that way you could avoid and dodge. You know, you knew where he was coming. So be straight next. across, and then be one to, to the right. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. And then uh, again that, and then the the third time he would go move two to the left on that third uh, for that third pass. Uh, but um, I, I guess my my biggest thing was it, it wasn't so much the dodging. The fight was super long. It it my my issue with that battle was the hitbox. Uh, on the eel and as far as cutting the tail and uh, getting to that point where it would just kind of flop around and go insane. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. What what part of that fight did you guys have the most trouble with for, for those of you who had trouble with it? I had the same trouble. I uh, It took me three attempts before I even got a segment mm-hmm. off it. Uh, I found that the hitbox was bad and you couldn't lock onto it because you would lock onto its head. So that was mm-hmm. pretty useless. Yeah. And I also felt like a lot of the time I would hit him with the lightning and think he would stu- he was stunned, but he would just keep moving around anyway. Mm-hmm. So that got pretty annoying. And I also found the fact that it was such a long fight. So much time was spent with him just passing right. 
through without you really being able to do anything. So there's just all this downtime mm-hmm. that wasn't challenging at all. And then you, when you finally got into it, uh, yeah, I just found having to repeat that over and over after having died got pretty irritating. Yeah. And it was sort of the only boss that was like that in the game, like you said, with the, you know, with the the super long uh, lapse of time. Um, I mean, there there was the judge, but he wasn't even uh-huh. that long. No, no, I, I didn't think there was. I don't think there were any lapses in that battle. I didn't feel that way. Just the mirrors. Just the mirrors. Yeah, a yeah little bit. I guess you know you hit them, but that's that's about it. But you always had something to attack. I mean, there wasn't any point where you where you you were in a lull of having. I think nothing a couple of times attack. in that fight, you would actually drain your power, so you couldn't attack. Yep. Yeah. Judge. Yeah. Yes. Which is pretty yeah. annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it it, didn't no, it didn't last, last very long. long. And, and one thing. And it was more engaging. Yeah. No. No. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> It was more engaging because he was like firing firebolts mm-hmm. or whatever it was at you, so you actually had to move around and dodge. Whereas the snake, you you didn't really have to move much. It was yeah, a pretty yeah. predictable pattern. Yeah, I, I failed several times um, at the judge fight. Probably two, three times. I probably failed that fight before I um, before I was able to beat it. But I, but at no point did I was I ever discouraged. Uh, or, or got angry. I'm like, you know, oh, okay, I'll just go back. I can do it again. I think the only irritating thing was was getting through all the dialogue, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, through that part and having to fast forward mm. through all that. Um, but I think you could push like start or something like that, and it would automatically like kind of get yeah. you closer to the fight. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I felt that was a, a pretty fun fight. I actually enjoyed that uh, that boss battle. Yeah, I think that was one of the better ones. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Kind of a big turning point mm-hmm. in the game, too. I, I liked the idea of the Warcadia boss. Because he had that like mm-hmm. fuel tank on oh. the back. Yeah, yeah. Which he had to sort of set mm-hmm. that on fire until it exploded. Um, and then yeah. break down his shields. And then pummel the head. Which I thought that was an interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess my only problem with that one was using that cannon. I didn't like having to use the cannon for that fight just because it was so... I would miss a lot. Like sit beside the legs. I would miss yeah. a lot with the cannon. Yeah. No, that was a little bit aggravating. You know, some of the some of their choices as far as which folk to use for some of the battles. I, but I did I did like that boss Floyd. I thought it was... It looked really cool. It really fit It really fit with the, uh, the area very well. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really a really neat folk. So, uh, not sure that I enjoyed fighting every folk folklore twice mm-hmm. in the game yeah. as we've already mentioned but uh for those of you who've never yeah. played this game you have to fight everyone twice um and I, I guess one of the things they tried to do was they tried to say hey if you're gonna have to fight them two times we'll we'll make it to where you use different folk to battle them with you know and, and change it up that way mm-hmm. but at least it was uh, somewhat interesting in that me, sense I didn't feel like that was enough right but yeah, like I agree, that it wasn't was enough. Probably the biggest downer for the game for me. There, there wasn't enough yeah. variation um, when you would have to go replay that level. Yeah, I, f- I don't know, and and maybe it's just me, but I, I sort of felt like this game could have been better had they just said play as one or the other character and had a little more replay mm-hmm. value. If you could come, okay, well, I played the game with Keats. Now I want to get the other side of the story. I'm going to play with Ellen. So kind of, um, and done it maybe that way. So kind of like beat the game um, with Ellen. You get 
an ending beat the game with keats you get another ending mm-hmm. and then you know sure. by the time like the game will know you've beaten it a second time with the other character you'd get like the true quote-unquote true ending kind of thing is that what you're saying right right or if, if there were things that were left out you could sort of at least by playing through both sides you could kind of it would sort of it would sort of meld or you could kind of piece it together you know good point yeah yeah. yeah, I was thinking it would be good if they traveled together, like if they both went through and then you could maybe switch oh. at the save points sure. or whatever if you wanted to. Yeah, swap them out. But, yeah. Which is kind of how the um, final two chapters play, um, I think, or at least the last chapter. You can sort of switch between mm-hmm. the two characters on the, well, maybe not on the fly, but you can mm-hmm. talk to the other character and say, like, okay, I'll take over from here or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that was... That was a little bit better and uh, kind of a, a neat way that they did that. And you're kind of like, well, maybe they should have done this the entire yeah, game. I was gonna say, and, yeah. And, yeah, I was going to say that because they had that at the end, perhaps it was a concept that, um, you know, was was considered. And then just, you know, th- this this game has a really weird, um, you know, I guess, development of so many ideas that are, you know, potential ideas that are not used. Right, right. And and one of the things I liked is to get back to sort of the boss fights and, and stuff um, in, in relation to what we were just talking about. I really liked that like, the Scarecrow battle was broken down into Keats first, Ellen second. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, but it was two totally different battles, completely right. different. I felt like mm-hmm. if they would have done that um, for all of the folks or the all of the folklore, um, it would have made the game much better in that sense. And it wouldn't have felt so repetitive, you know, just sort of, um, you know, like Pam said, sort of switching it out, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, being able to sort of the tag team, those battles in different ways, um, would have made it far more interesting to me and, and more enjoyable. I think that, I don't know. that's, that's a really good point. Um, right. and, um, I, I, my only speculation as to why that is, is I don't know if I want to save it for later when we uh, talk about if, if, if this is a hidden gem or not, but um, to me, this felt like a really, it felt like a PS2 game. There, there is so, so much yeah. PS2-ness about it. Um, right. And um, so maybe at the end, uh, you know, Sony or whatever, like the publishing companies were saying like, okay, get this, get this thing out. You know, we got new hardware coming out, so you put it on PS3 sure. or whatever. Uh, you know, get this yeah. product out the door. Um, so, you know, they just said, you're, okay, okay, now you're going to switch characters and you're going to play with somebody else. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, and here, uh, while you're at it, throwing these motion controls that are new to this new system, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that because it is an early game on PS3, so I, I could definitely see that happening. I mean, this, of course, is all speculation on our part, but uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times that's that's uh, you know, the the reasoning for mm-hmm. um, um, you know things being either overdone or underdone, right? So, um. Any favorite boss fights? Did anybody have a favorite one that uh, maybe they enjoyed the most or found the most interesting? Uh, I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but I know I think the most bizarre was the chapter four boss. Uh, that's the one in the endless corridor. It's just like the big mouth with the eyes uh, <laughs> on the walls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, I like that one. I, 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 liked, I, did one like it. I liked it, too. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was just yeah. a... I found it very unsettling to look at, though. <laughs> 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 well, the, the whole, a, uh... like the whole, the whole of um, the endless quarter was very unsettling. Mm-hmm. 
Because the whole, I think, uh, the Endless Quarter is... I, I, I don't know how, how it was Levain's home base. Uh, that didn't quite make sense to me. But uh -huh. um, it was supposed to represent, like, um, where people go when they don't believe in an afterlife or something. Hmm. Yeah, it was... It was odd. That that boss battle was strange. It was a uh, like fighting a uh, Salvador Dali painting or something. Oh, that's a cool analogy. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about the rest of you? Any favorite uh, folk battles, folklore battles? Pam. Uh, I like the Endless Corridor one as well, and I really liked the Judge. Yeah, I like the Judge as well. Yeah, I guess with the Endless Corridor, it was kind of nice because that was Chapter Four after. Chapter three was so tough. That one seemed mm -hmm. a, a lot easier. Um, it, it was. It wasn't easy. I don't want to say it was easy. It was still a little difficult, but uh, it, it took some of the pressure off. And, and I didn't feel like oh, because after three, I was like, I'm never going to finish this game if, if these battles are like this. But it, it kind of alleviated some of that pressure. How about you, Sean? Any uh, favorite battles during this one? Well, the ones I got, well, the eel guy was my favorite. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I also, I kind of like the, the Wartopia one, but the, the Wartopia w w boss, as interesting and cool, like I agree with what Floyd was saying, kind of fell victim, and the boss battles that I went through in general fell victim to all the game's mechanical shortcomings, like as for... Uh, as frustrated as I was in the the minute to minute gameplay of the the camera and the controls and everything else, those things were just exacerbated tenfold when you got to a boss battle. And I I want to bring up one of my biggest gripes with the game is that there are no healing items in this game. And oh, yeah, you mentioned I, that. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around this. I I would have been able to beat the eel boss. I would have had a much easier time with the Wartopia boss. I don't, I don't know why that was omitted. I don't think it would have made the game too easy or anything. You could have made them mm -hmm. like very limited or you know, only give like a quarter of your life bar back. It didn't have to be like full-on heal, like total yeah. heal items, but just something just to help a little bit. Because well, you, you, well, there, there are, there are yeah, the life game. drops or whatever but, they're called. No, yeah, I'm, I'm saying something you have items. in your inventory. Because yeah. Yeah. you can't. Right, there's right. nothing in a boss battle that you can... Mm -hmm. You know, you can't so, like stock up on potions, right? Exactly. There's nothing like that. So once you're in a boss battle, you're on your own, and that was to yeah. me th that's what made it, you know, impossible yeah. for me. But yeah, I think that the the Wartopia boss out of the ones that I <laughs> that I did and got to, I like that one, despite yeah. the major, you know, mechanical shortcomings. In mm -hmm. yeah. in kind of um, the opposite of what you were kind of saying, I think the game. I, yeah, it would have been nice to have some healing items, but I think the game does a pretty decent job of, um, right before fighting a boss, like having like um, you know, some of those stones maybe to break or a save point um, right before the boss. Folks that will yeah, or folks that drop healing points or save points, like Floyd said. I think the game does a decent job in making sure that you're, um, if not full, um, almost full. Of, of health before you enter that last battle and it kind of makes you say, okay, we well, got to just, you got to make do with mm -hmm. this, right. you know? So, so I did like that about the game. I thought that they did take that consideration for a game to not have, um, you know, like, like usable items. Um, I, I think they did a pretty good job of, uh, making sure that, um, 
you had enough health um, when when you fought those bosses. So, um, you know, it would have been nice. But and I can I can definitely see your gripe to that point. Um, it would it would have been really nice to have that for sure. Right, so um, we've got Pam on the show. Just took a little break, and uh, we decided, um, a few of us kind of got together and decided to make the show a little more interesting after our break. What we might do is we have guests on, ask them a few questions, basically the same questions each time they come on the show, uh, or each time we have a guest on the show, uh, just to know a little bit more about them and um, kind of give a little break in the action from talking about our game. Um, so, all right, uh, are you ready, Pam? I'm ready. All right. So your first question is, what is your favorite video game? My favorite video game is Planescape Torment, which is a Ah. PC RPG. I'm very familiar with that game. I have not played it, but I sent a copy to Bill. I found a copy at a Goodwill uh, around here uh, and sent it to him recently. So, okay. Oh yeah, I think I saw you uh, posted the picture on Twitter. That's actually the only PC game that I still have the discs for. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only I think I have all of my War- World of Warcraft disc, and yeah. I have uh, Diablo. So uh, yeah, you and I have talked um, I think a few times about the World of Warcraft addiction. So yes. we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> all right. Question number two: What is the worst video game you've ever played? Um. That, I used to be a tester, I used to be in QA for a uh-huh. company in Toronto, and they made budget titles, most mm-hmm. of them were just budget military shooters, and okay. there's one particular one called World War II Combat Iwo Jima, <laughs> and good. it was a bad game, it was your generic military shooter on a low budget, and something happened during development where we were getting builds on like a bi-weekly basis rather than on a daily basis so i would just have to play this game over and over and over the same build oh, of it for gosh. weeks so that's the worst game i've ever played <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the worst game you've ever played but you've had to play it so many times it became the worst game you've ever played and yes. the most, and <laughs> the most <laughs> broken game you ever played <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right uh what feature or gameplay aspect is the most essential for your enjoyment of a video game Oh, it's sort of a toss-up. I mean, I'm definitely into narrative and having a mm-hmm. good story, but bad controls can also uh, really just turn me yeah. completely off a game. So um, it's sort of a toss-up between narrative and controls, which are completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But I think I need both. All right. If you could be any video game character, who would it be and why? I would be Jade from Beyond Good and Evil. Okay. She knows how to kick ass, and she's a photographer. <laughs> she also takes care of kids, and I don't really want to do that part, but if I could go take <laughs> pictures <laughs> pictures of wildlife and uh, <laughs> unveil government conspiracies, that would be good. All right. All right. Great answer. All right. If you had to sell off a specific console you own and all of its games, what would it be? If you had to sell off one set, uh, I'm trying to 
see what would make Will the least mad. <laughs> so you can sell his games. No. <laughs> I was going to say Saturn, but he's going for the full set of that. But in terms of uh, reclaiming the most space in my living room, mm-hmm. I would sell the Genesis and all of its games. Oh. Good choice. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, that really that hurts, hurts. He really loves his games. <laughs> uh, I know. I've gotten into it in the last uh, last year or so. I love it. Love it. Oh, right. I like it, too. It's just there's there's so many of them. I understand. I understand. Um, okay, so what console in all of its games that you own would, you, would be last to go if you had to ever get rid of them? So sort of the opposite. PlayStation 2. Hell okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best guest we've ever had on the show. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. If you had to give up collecting video games, what hobby would you most likely take up? I am not that huge of a collector. Mm-hmm. I uh, I kind of have everything that I want already. Mm-hmm. So I would just continue to play the video games I have and uh, make videos and stuff. Okay. All right. If you could choose any celebrity to hang out with for an evening, who would it be and what would you guys do? I would hang out with Jillian Anderson because I love her. Yes. <laughs> uh, what would we do? We uh Nice dinner, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots of wine. <laughs> Lots of wine with Jillian Anderson. Sounds great. X-Files right, Jillian Anderson it. or Hannibal Jillian Anderson? X-Files. Okay. okay. Or, or um, what's the other one? The BBC one she was in. Can't think of the name right now. Oh, no. Um, oh, I know the one you're talking about. I do too. I think I just watched. You talking about the murder mystery yeah. show? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, not... The Fall, yeah. is that it? The Fall, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, that's a great show. If anyone hasn't seen it, please, please watch it. And um, yeah, Jillian Anderson. Yeah, to me, she's gotten so much more attractive with age. I don't know what it is. I, people disagree with me all the time for that, but uh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, I love her. She keeps she. Does, I think she's gotten better with mm-hmm. age too. She yeah. just keeps her acting's gotten hotter. better too. Yeah, <laughs> even better. So, all right. Well, let's get back to folklore. Finish this up. I know Sean's getting antsy over there. I want to go so, home. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, Sean is moving right now, and basically nothing is left but a desk and computer, and so he is sitting in a strange room of an apartment that he's moving out yeah, of. Just complete emptiness, <laughs> alone. Just like my life in general. <laughs> <laughs> Before we sort of move on to areas, let's talk about the final boss. We 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 talked about the bosses a little bit. But we didn't talk about the final boss, and uh, the, there's there's sort of a, a big revelation of um, you know you've made it this far, but uh, Scarecrow becomes sort of the final boss in the game, which is which is kind of odd. Didn't really see that coming. Uh, but uh, he gets sort of twisted by uh, power and uh, not happy with Ellen's decision, so. Uh, kind of morphs into this giant, uh, strange raven uh, character, if you will. So what did you guys think about the final boss fight? I thought the Keats battle with Scarecrow was Mm -hmm. really easy. And Mm -hmm. the Ellen one was, that was almost my rage quit moment. Hmm. 
Really? Um, I think that close to the end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, what was it? Because he disables a lot of your folks. Uh-huh. So you have a really yeah, limited, you have a really limited um, sort of uh, stock of, of guys that you can use. And because I had gotten so used to a certain set, um, it, it was definitely a curveball that was thrown at me that I had to um, mm-hmm. adapt to. Um, yeah. But I think you get you get that final book all at one time, don't you? And, and is my memory wrong about that? I'm not sure. I didn't check the, the I didn't boss. check the storybook for him. Oh, you didn't. Um, okay. the, yeah, there, there's there. somebody. There's an NPC who says, like, you know, there's a boss at the end of here that's going to disable a lot of your folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Any other, any others? Pam, what did you think about the final boss? Uh, I feel the same way. The Keats part was pretty easy. The Ellen part was much harder. Uh, I also found switching between the folk irritating especially i don't know if anyone else had this sort of performance problem but after i exited the folk menu the game would sort of freeze for a couple seconds Hmm. i think i had that throughout like the whole game whenever i yeah 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 came Mm -hmm. out of the folk menu Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, so it was, I didn't really like having to switch within a battle. And I also have a problem just being extremely offensive and not being careful. So I had a, I had to try it a couple times and I finally learned I had to sort of pull back sometimes and let them do it, their attacks and mm-hmm. before I got in. But I did find that the one side of the boss, the right side facing him, mm-hmm. uh, there was this sort of safe spot right sort of in the corner around the side of him, mm-hmm. whereas yeah, there, there was. was no safe spot on the left. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Steven? Um, I think my biggest problem with it was that, like we all said, the Keats fight was pretty easy, but the Ellen fight was a little harder. But if you got a game over during the Ellen fight, you had to do both fights again, which was really annoying. Yeah. That was a pain. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah. I think my experience is very similar to Pam's. I um, I tend to rush in, and you can't really do that with this boss. You really have to kind of hang back and play a little more defensively. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was a pretty cool fight. Um, I actually had forgotten that it disables a lot of your folks at the beginning of the fight, but I think as you sort of progress through it, uh, you... You get some of them back um, little by little, but uh, it's an interesting fight. Yeah, yeah. I I enjoyed it. It's probably one of my favorite fights in the game. Um, I had more trouble with, if you can believe it, I had more trouble with Levain than I did with Scarecrow. I, I don't know. I almost rage quit at Levain. <laughs> I, I, was, I was so frustrated because I knew I was so close to the end. And this, you know, when you're so close, that's, that's when it gets even more frustrating and i i probably had to do that fight like seven times and 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 the worst part is you have to run through the entire level Mm. um to to get back to that battle and there are some rooms that will not you know there'll there'll be barriers so clear the room first Uh, you do and and so that was that was very time consuming and annoying for me but with scarecrow um i actually beat it the first time I don't, really? I don't, I don't know. Huh. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. I use, I use the book and, uh, um, unlike, um, I, I thought, uh, the fairy Lord was really hard. I, I think he took like three tries. He took me a few times. And yeah, he took I me a few times. And uh, I like, I, he took me he a also, few times. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
he also uh like when you're fighting folk you can tell when you're damaging them because mm-hmm. their id pops out whereas with the fairy lord and levain you couldn't really tell if right. what you were doing was effective yeah you mm-hmm. just have to wail on them yeah yeah I had, a, I had a little trouble with the fairy lord fight and i, I think i texted the guys and i was like I'm, I'm having a little trouble with that they're like we'll just go just focus on him and, and once i was like super offensive then then it became it was an easy fight he went down really mm-hmm. quick i i tend to play I, my play style is a little different from i know you guys were talking about you're you're more offensive when you play i tend to be a little more methodical and defensive when i play games and you know kind of um take it kind of slow i'm not not overly aggressive kind of take it slow and kind of let it open up and, and kind of watch it and i think that probably is the reason i had a lot of problems with levane and with the fairy lord um, whereas with Scarecrow, um, I could kind of sit back and kind of watch it sort of unravel and s- dodge from a distance and kind of see like how the fight was going to progress. You know, that's that's that usually how I am too. Um, except mm-hmm. for when I get really sort of really into it, you know, then I kind of mm-hmm. forget about hanging back and being a little more defensive right. and more methodical. So that's where a lot of my game overs came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, like, for the Fairy Lord, um, I didn't even, once I kind of figured out my strategy, I didn't bother with his summons, which is something that I would normally do, is kind of take out the uh, that the, the henchman first, and then... That's what I did, yeah. Um, but that was a total waste of time and waste of effort, because he would resummon them, and it's kind of like he didn't make mm-hmm. any progress at all. So, right. once I just locked onto the Fairy Lord and, um, you know, did that thing, it was much, much easier. Right, right. During the Fairy Lord fight, I learned that if your controller dies, the game doesn't auto pause. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so that's why I died the first time on Fairy Lord. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, let's move on now. We'll talk a little bit about the areas, probably just sort of briefly. Um, it, I, I was, I'm not sure who brought this up earlier. But the the whole idea of these different realms and different worlds were sort of based on um, manifestations of human ideas. Uh, And I thought that was a really neat um, way to present these different worlds. Um, And I I can't I can't remember what was associated with what. I mean, I I know like like Warcadia was, you know, people who died um, in war, basically. Yeah. Right, right, and uh, you know, man's manifestation of death mm-hmm. and war and and stuff like that. I can't remember any of the other ones, but uh, yeah, I think, let's, let's talk I think about fairy that realm was just like the happy-go-lucky kind of yeah. afterlife. Um, right. The underwater city was um, forgotten, forgotten civilizations, kind of thing, like like Atlantis, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Sure, um, sure. And what did you have after that? Endless Quarter was like non-believers or kind of people who don't believe in an afterlife Vains area, right? Um, and then of course Hell Ram was pretty self-explanatory, uh, yeah. right? <laughs> Which was one of my favorite areas. I mean, as far as visually, I mean, gosh, it was so beautiful. The the running streams and things of that nature. They they really put a lot mm-hmm. of detail into that area. Um, it was really cool. Um, but uh, any any favorite areas that, that any of you guys enjoyed? Uh, Endless Corridor, just just for the concept of it. Sure. I remember um, the Fairy Realm being very uh, 
appealing to me at first. It's just a very beautiful area, very lush, and um, mm-hmm. that's the first chapter of the game, and it it, it kind of set a, a tone uh, for the game, and mm-hmm. and going from Fairy Realm to Warcadia for me was such a such a letdown, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was jarring. very jarring. I, yeah. I just I just didn't find Warcadia appealing at all. Um, so it was kind of a letdown. See, and, and, from one to and the you other. really like it when you start a game in really vibrant, lush, colorful levels. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it would have been um, better placed toward the end of the game if that makes more sense. As far as far as like you know more toward hell and when things start breaking mm-hmm. down, you know, and use some of the you know the more vibrant levels at the beginning of the game. But but I agree. I mean, without I think if, if Fairy Realm wasn't the first area, it you know, I don't, I don't think the game mm-hmm. would have um, really appeal, appealed yeah. to me as much. If I, if I uh, could have restructured anything, it would be Fairy Realm, uh, Underwater City, uh, Warcadia, Endless Corridor, and then Hell Realm. That would be my ideal layout. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we should maybe sort of wrap things up and talk about sort of our final thoughts on the game. Um, Steven, you want to you want to wrap us up on that? Yeah, I uh, for me the game started off very strong and I just thought this was going to be an excellent game and it kind of they start introducing a lot of strange mechanics or some weird design decisions in the game and uh, I, I felt like mm-hmm. the game was kind of a missed opportunity um, just didn't live up quite to its potential. Um you know, we talked about, you know, the does this game qualify as a hidden gem? And uh, I think for me personally, I'd probably say no. Um, just doesn't quite okay. hit that mark. I'd probably, if I had to score it, I'd probably give it about a between a five and a six or so. Maybe the good slightly outweighing the bad for me. Um, okay. But yeah, I just it's, I think it's kind of a shame that it uh so it it was kind of bogged down by some of the uh, strange design choices. Um, so yeah. so now knowing that. Um, are you happy with your choice and sort of why, what made you pick this game? Sort of a two part question for that one. Um, well, part of it, I don't know it was just a game I never played before and it looked very interesting. And if you remember, I, I actually presented you guys with a list and everybody seemed to be in favor of folklore. Mm-hmm. So we, that's what we went with. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad to have played it. Sure. Um, it, uh, you know, we didn't get a lot of action on the forums and a lot of participation, but you know, it's, uh, I, I, I overall I did enjoy the game, but I just think it could have been much better. Pam, your closing thoughts on the game and whether you think this is a hidden gem? I feel pretty much exactly the same. I thought the game started off good. I thought it had some interesting ideas. I liked at first the dual protagonist thing, but yeah, after a while it did start to get repetitive and all of the little bad design choices and the sort of UI things that bothered me uh, started to add up and then that that eel boss just just pushed me over the edge so after after that I was just like all right just power through get it done I didn't do any side quests or anything so um, I mean it was an interesting game and I like that they tried something a little new but I don't think that they pulled it off okay how about you Sean so I was so excited to play this game, actually. I uh, I should say hello to my friend Matt back in New Jersey. He 
wasn't a big collector and he was the kind of person like when he was done with a game he would just give it to me if he didn't want it or if it wasn't like super valuable or something and I actually knew he had this game and I bugged him for a while to like play it and then give it to me because I wanted it in my collection being a uh, a fan of Sony and PS3 you know I thought it a hidden gem you know quote unquote like this I needed it in my collection and I when it got chosen for the playthrough, I was super excited, and especially for the reasons Steven stated at the, at the beginning of the show, um, that we're just constantly going over and playing the same third-person shooter formula again and again and just complaining about it on the podcast, you know, especially me. I'm sp- speaking for myself at this point, but um, to play something totally different. And I will say, like, in my first hour or two of playing the game... I was really blown away by everything and I thought I was in for like a really like a real treat. I, I as soon as I started playing I went right on Twitter and I went right on the forum to say like yo check this game out it's it's great mm-hmm. and um man it just turned out to be like so disappointing on you know mechanical and technical levels and then you know just the frustration of the bosses and ultimately just not being able to pass a certain point which it really breaks my heart. I, I, I wish I could have completed the game to participate more in this discussion a little bit more. And to be completely honest and full disclosure here, um, you know, it was offered to me by you guys to, to sit this one out. But I really didn't want to pass up an, um, an opportunity to be on the air with Pam because I'm a huge fan of her work. <laughs> so that's like kind of why I'm here uh, just on this episode. Um, but yeah, that's my my lasting impression is just like an initial um, a thrill of, wow, this game looks great. It seems so interesting. It's like Silent Hill meets Pokemon. It's it's crazy. I love it. And then to have that like crushing disappointment of it's like the camera's broken, the controls are kind of messed up, and I can't beat this freaking eel. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, w- I was sort of waiting if, if – Listeners of the show will know that uh, Sean has a typical evolution in gaming uh, when we play these uh, playthroughs of this is awesome, this sucks, and then like a total turnaround of I enjoyed playing this game. He did not make it to the third no. stage of this game. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I'm, I'm not going to argue with that at all. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah. So do you have any interest in going back to this and trying to finish or... Uh, was the clunkiness and the um, the third uh, level boss just left too much of a bad taste in your mouth to want to go back? Yeah, I doubt I'll go back. And I also, I guess we should throw out the other major title from Game Republic was uh, Magine and the Forsaken mm-hmm. Kingdom. Yep. And I've already tried playing that game and I didn't really care for okay. it. So that's the end of my games from game republic you know so yeah i'm not i'm not gonna go back to it i don't think yeah one of the um you mentioned it's funny you mentioned Magin and the forsaken kingdom i, I own that as well um and um uh, one of the, one of the things that um with folklore that that i had this sort of um feeling in playing it was uh i felt a little bit of a similarity between shadow of the colossus um, and, and it's completely different game as far as, you know, folklore has levels you go through and then you fight a folklore, but the whole experience of like, why am I doing this? Why am I ta- taking out this seemingly innocent, uh, guardian of this area? 
uh, and and um, you know something that um, is and and a lot of them weren't very like evil looking or aggressive. Um, you know, I, I felt I had that same sort of sense. Uh, and with the with the same thing with Magin and the Forsaken Kingdom, um, it, it appears to me that, that game is sort of like a um, uh, how, how do you how do I want to say it? Um, it's sort of like the Last Guardian in a sense. You know, you've got this big beast that uh, follows you around and aids you and helps you f- figure out puzzles. Uh, but but what uh, I guess what better games to kind of allude to or sort of mimic. Uh, the feelings of then uh, you know those games, uh, though we don't know what Last Guardian's going to be like yet, right? Let, let's keep our fingers awesome. crossed yeah, for this comes year. Out at all. <laughs> I've got my right, pre-order, right. so they they better not let me down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but um, that that's just something I sort of thought about when I was playing a game, and I wanted to share that. But as far as folklore is concerned, um, as you know, my PS3, I, I got it uh, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before. Uh, I always, you know, watch a lot of YouTube videos as far as like finding out hidden gems or games I should collect. I'm not going for a full set uh, like I am for some of my other systems uh, for PS3. So, you know, I've just got, um, you know, probably maybe 60 PS3 games. And I'm trying to go through and find out which games are kind of choice. And I, I did come across Folklore and I've had it in my collection for some time. And, um, you know, when um, it came up on Sean's list, I was like, oh, that that, that would be awesome. I've always heard that that's Steven. Steven, gosh, <laughs> yeah. I do that with the S names all the time. You guys, nah, it's all good. Um, when Steven came up on Steven's list, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like something I would really like to play. Uh, and I've, I'd heard that it was a hidden gem. Um, is it a hidden gem? I, I think there's a lot going on with it that um, I don't really care for. I think... As we mentioned, they, they try to pack too much, tons of great ideas, but too many great ideas force-fed into one game, um, and and that's my problem with it. I I would rate it higher than Steven. I uh, I know you, you said like a, a maybe a six over the top. I'd probably go with like maybe a seven or seven and a half. I I did. I think I enjoyed it a good bit. Um, and um, thought it was a was a fun game overall. I'm glad. I'm really glad I played. It. I'm glad that uh, that we picked it for February, and uh, I had a blast with it. To be honest, um, there were some problems with it, but I guess when you get to like a seven and a half out of ten, you almost have to say it is kind of a hidden gem. Maybe I I would say it is, but again, I don't have a lot of experience on the PS3 yet, um, so uh, maybe I'm completely off. But that's just sort of my opinion. So. Floyd? I I like this game. Um, and I, I think it had a lot of good ideas. Now, a lot of those ideas weren't executed very well. Um, and like you said, it, it's kind of was overly ambitious. But I kind of applaud that ambition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the I, I think it's um, an idea that hasn't really been explored very much. Um and if it is like the, I'm, there are a lot of games about afterlives and mythology, and they're a lot darker and more more evil, and so that this one kind of, you know, went almost the other direction, was um was an interesting take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for a two thousand seven PS three game, I think it looked really good. Um. It felt kind of PS2-ish to me, and I really liked the PS2, so that was a plus. 
it's definitely not the best game on on the library uh, for the PS3, but I'm happy I played it. Um, if there is somebody who uh, just picked up a console and they're they're looking for some, you know, inexpensive but um, interesting or, or decent titles, I'd definitely give it a recommendation. And uh, to give it a number score, I would say, yeah, a solid seven. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, Floyd, while you're on, you want to go ahead and tell us about, um, tell everyone about what we're going to be playing next month. So we're, we're keeping things, uh, unconventional again next month and we're playing a, well, it's not download only now, but, uh, for the longest time it was download only. Um, um, this is, this is going to be an interesting thing. And, you know, I'm really surprised at the turnout that we have already for, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, we will be playing Life is Strange. Uh, that was made by uh, Don't Nod, which is a French developer who uh, previously made uh, Remember Me. Um, and this is a very story-driven, um, kind of like the modern point-and-click type thing. Um, same, I want to say almost, I don't know much about it yet, but just looking at it, same sort of idea as uh, Telltale Walking Dead series. Um, branching storylines, uh, character-driven, narrative-driven. Uh, it's available on Xbox 360, PS3, PC, PS4, Xbox One, um, as a collector's edition, which comes with a physical copy of the game, a CD soundtrack, and I think some, uh, bonus artwork. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And Pam, you're going to be joining us for that game, right? Yeah, I'm going to take part. I've played the first episode a while back, so I'll give it a replay and play the rest. Awesome, awesome. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything, and I'm not going to tell you, but we have a very exciting and excitable guest on our next <laughs> podcast. So uh, we definitely want you guys to to uh, to take a listen. It's another Canadian. Hint, hint. All right. Uh, hint, hint. All right. Oh. All right. Um, but uh, Pam, thanks so much for joining us. Um, uh, I will reiterate what Sean said, and that uh, I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, really enjoy your channel. Um, and uh, we're so glad that you could join us for this one. Oh, I was glad to come. I had a lot of fun. All right, and tell them where uh, they can find you again. You can find my YouTube channel. It is called Cannot Be Tamed. And if you're looking for me on Twitter, my name is at Jasyla underscore. That's J-A-S-Y-L-A underscore. All right. Thanks a lot. And that concludes our discussion of folklore and also this episode. Thanks again, Pam, for joining us. Listeners, remember to find Cannot Be Tamed on YouTube for more of her great work. In March, Floyd will be hosting the critically acclaimed narrative adventure game Life is Strange, which is available on 7th and 8th generation consoles as well as the PC. Log on to rfgeneration.com to join us. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.